this week, we talk about cannabis education, what psychoactivity really means, and how our favorite plant is the secret to life. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. My name is Josh Alb. I'm from New Jersey, and I am a cannabis scientist, a consultant, and advocate for the legalization and decriminalization regulation of controlled substances. Some nice down-tempo beats to go along with these spicy summer days. Well, that was Focus Zero with a track titled Scholar, which I believe very aptly describes this week's guest, as you will find out in just a bit. Joshua Alb, also known as the Albchemist on Instagram, he is a graduate of Oaksterdam University, just like yours truly. However, he also earned the title of valedictorian for both of his courses, but his academic achievements didn't stop there. He also assisted in pioneering cannabis-based medication with Alta California Botanicals. Soon after, he returned to his home state of New Jersey, where he began conducting cannabis research at Middlesex County College. Not long after that, he decided to create Why Not THC, a company founded in spreading the science of cannabis. And he's also behind Canademics, which is New Jersey's first major cannabis conference hosted in conjunction with an academic institution, with participants from the academic, medical, and political realms. Now, Josh knows a thing or two about not just the cannabis plant, but its effects on human beings, as well as a few other creatures. More on that in a few minutes. But first things first, before he became the scientist he is today, when did he realize he wanted to spread the cannabis gospel? I think the first time I smoked was when I wanted to spread the gospel when I was like 13, man. Like, <laughs> like that, my 13th, 14th birthday, you know, that's like the first time I, I wound up consuming in, uh, in a tree house in my backyard. It was an interesting ass time, I'll say that. And uh, with, you know, with spreading it, it was like I, I started to actually understand what this was. You know, and just like it just made us feel good. You feel me? We're just like, yo, this is cool. I feel really cool. And we're just having a good time. You know, that's all it was like. That's literally all it was. Um, and it was just like a good time. But I wasn't like a stoner. I wasn't like smoking all the time or anything like that. I was just an occasional. I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna have a good time. Why not? And, um, uh, you know, as I got to be actually 17, I wound up, uh, you know, discovering that, you know, I had some injuries related to football. Right. 
and I didn't want to take prescription medication uh, because I had taken uh, like hypercoding Percocets before. Um, and I wound up feeling like I had some kind of dependency towards that. You feel me when I did? Because I, like, I had like some serious surgery. It wasn't like I didn't need them at the time. I definitely did because it was intense, immense pain that I was in. Um, but I understood the dependency that could come from it, you know, so I didn't want to try and do anything with that. So I started to consume cannabis, you know, and I was like, oh, this actually helps, right? It can help me sleep, helps my mood, it helps everything. You know, I'm like 17 years old in high school. Every, every kid in high, almost every other kid in high school is freaking depressed. You feel me? It's like, it's a stressful time of your life, you know, and, uh, it's like, you know, it just helped. It helped me without everything. So then I started like really trying to learn more about it. And when I, when I said I was, when I was 17 sitting there in like my high school class, we had to figure out like what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Right. And I was like, like, what are you going to like, what's, what do you want? Right. So I wanted a house on the beach on the coast of California with a weed farm. That is what I wanted. Right. That's all I wanted. That's literally all I wanted. I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is how much money I'm going to make, you know, selling, all, like selling my weed and everything. And da, 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 da. we were, it was, you know, just like some kids dreams. You feel me? And you know, I, um, Colorado, we saw went legal and, um, you know, I was sitting there in class and my teacher just kind of told me, he's like, Josh, that's really what you want to do. You know, he's, I'm like, like, I, I wanted to go to college first. I'm like, let me get a degree first and then let me kind of jump into this space. Um, and he was like, Josh, you want to get in it? Just get it in. You got to do it now. You know, and I was in high school. And I didn't really, that didn't really sink in with me until I went to college and I would like, I always tell people like I had this this crazy experience with like psychedelics, which really opened up my mind to everything and opened up my mind to the weight. Because at the time I was like 305 pounds, I wound up losing 110 pounds within a year period, you know, over like by consuming mushrooms and like, you know, seeing the, those effects, understanding like myself better, looking at my life from an unbiased perspective, you know, and then with like LSD, like it helped open up my mind to be able to understand like kind of most like what I what I was supposed to do, like what do I want, you know, and I wound up dropping out of college um, in order time to like recoup, you know, the investments that we had put into it. And um, it was in, it was really crazy because like when I, you know, after having that kind of epiphany, more or less, like I was in a biochemistry program with a business minor. Right. Um, and I was like, I want to get into the space. And I went, moved to San Francisco, went to Amsterdam, um, you know, and basically bootstrapped it. Uh, for a while out there, you know, for about like four, almost six months, and then was able to get picked up, you know, after going through Oaksham, meeting a lot of people in the industry, just networking as much as I could, I would volunteer. I was 18 when I went out there, so I wound up like just volunteering there every day, which is the same thing as interning anyways, you just don't get a title to go with it, right? So I wound up just volunteering there every single day for about almost May for May, June, July, and then they stopped me in August. And I learned from Big Mike, rest in peace, and from Derek, um, you know, really how to cultivate, like indoor specifically. I like just go in there and learning and being around them every day, being around those people, being around everything that the school had to offer just every day. You know, like that's what I wanted to do. You know, so I just networked within that every single day. And um, it was incredible because like we were I was really able to, um, you know, uh, to kind of see what this is about, you know, and, and to really become something of myself. And it was great. It was a great opportunity to be able to do that um, because I wound up meeting like I wanted to actually I read the Amsterdam textbook 
before I went to Amsterdam. I read and took notes on three throughout all of their textbooks before I went to, to before I even stepped foot in the classroom, which I guess no one did, which I thought was weird. Um, you know, but like, and I don't do that now with like my normal subjects. You know, I mean, like when I was in like when I didn't when I finished my undergrad, you know, I didn't do that now um, or then I should say. Uh, but like, it was it was freaking incredible because like, you know. I went in knowing the book inside and out already and just continuously asking questions to the point where the teachers and I just getting into debates all the time. So, of course, I was an annoying guy in class, um, but like it translated. And the reason I say it translated is because I was the youngest one there. I wound up finishing top of my class in both categories, you know, for both of the programs that they offered at the time and immediately was picked up. I, I wound up talking to Debbie Goldsberry, uh, who's the co-founder of Magnolia. I mentioned that earlier, you know, and she's a uh, the uh, the founder of uh, ASA Americans for Safe Access and um, it's uh, she wound up telling me when I, I kept asking these questions about cannabinoids you know something on something you were talking about earlier it's like the one thing people don't the com- one piece of the conversation that's left out is cannabinoids right so like that's the the question that I went in asking you know in 2015 is just cannabinoids 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 and like this is what I'm I want to be able to understand not just like THC CBD but all these other things right and I'm looking at it and I was doing my own research at the time like I it's funny because the strain hunters wound up doing this and like I sent them a DM in 2015 I doubt that that's where they got the idea to do this from but when you when I was mapping out I wanted to discover where THCV was coming from I had this huge fascination with THCV right and I'm like how are we able to where would we find the highest concentration of land race genetics in Africa and I literally I'm like well if we look at where cannabis or we can deem where cannabis's origins are from you know it's, and we're seeing that it's coming out of this Asian area right like the uh, the continent let's see what was the opening uh, what opened up for trade with Africa uh, between Africa and Asia what opened that up right it's the silk road okay silk road opened that up so now we're looking at mass commerce between the two continent between the two regions the two continents and that as we follow human civilization canvas comes comes everywhere with that so I'm like you know what let's follow the silk road and as you follow the silk road and you trace it down through, and like all the way into from Egypt, all the way to Marrakesh, and then as you go down through Africa into the Congo and the DNC regions, um, you know, you you wind up seeing that that's where, you know, these major pit stops were throughout the continent. You know, where this trade was going, where the commerce was, and that's where you also find the the concentration of those genetics as you get closer south. So to go from a treehouse in New Jersey across the country all the way to Oaksterdam in California and then back to the East Coast to academia to study cannabinoids and map out the ancient cannabis trail by way of the Silk Road is no small feat. Pretty impressive, actually. And all that because of one specific plant. Oh, cannabis, is there anything you can't do or anyone you can't inspire? Well, Josh's travels and experience studying the plant have given him incredible knowledge of not just how to cultivate and consume it, but also how and why it works in human beings and on a molecular level to boot. Now, one of the first things that students of Oaksterdam University learn is that the human body is equipped with what is known as the endocannabinoid system. For those of you who have never heard of this, or those that have but don't have a thorough understanding of it, 
It is essentially a system or infrastructure, if you will, of receptors throughout the body that receive cannabinoids. You know, the healthy little compounds found in cannabis, such as THC and CBD, using a lock and key type of mechanism. But it is also way more than just that. A couple of sentences will not do it justice, so here's Josh waxing scientific on the nitty-gritty of the ECS. The endocannabinoid system is the system that is responsible for the control of life. If you really, that's the simplest way to put it. You know, it is a system when it's a system of receptors that um, is found throughout the, not just all mammals, uh, but all vertebrate with the exception of reptiles, um, that is... Uh, that runs parallel to the central nervous system and is found within uh, the found within immune-related tissues and cells throughout peripheral uh, throughout the peripheral system as well, um, and that is responsible for regulating what is known as homeostasis. Right, homeostasis is the balance of yourself. Right, so you're not just on some like hippy dippy shit. It's like you know, it is like the the actual sense of being healthy, you know, from a, from a medical standpoint, um, and it intertwines into everything. Every single thing involves the endocannabinoid system in one way or another. You know, when we talk about uh, primarily on your bones and skeletal structure, you'll find a lot of concentration of CB2 receptors, you know, throughout the brain, CB1 reproductive organs, CB1, um, and it's interesting because when you in introduce THC into the um, into the into the system, right? When people consume high high grade cannabis, it'll increase sperm levels, right? You get a you get an up you get an uptake you have an uptick in your your reproductive organs in response, right? For um, and when you look at this it, at a for for women in particular with fertility. Um, when the sperm interacts with the egg cell, there's one known as the acrosomal reaction using the acrosomal anchor, right? That, what induces that reaction is an andamide, which again is the body's natural form of um, THC, right? When women breastfeed, they have high quantities of an andamide found in breast milk. And when you remove that in, in actual studies, when you remove that from mice, the, the 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 baby stopped feeding, so they die. It's literally the foundations of what's in life. And when you think that, oh, how is it? You know, okay, maybe there are, you know, okay, so there are these receptors found, you know, on all these cells, right? But like, is it really on all of them? Literally, it's all of them. They were found. It's on mitochondria. You have cannabinoid receptors present on mitochondrial uh, cells that were found within the brain. Mitochondria is everywhere. You know what I mean? It's in it's the CB1 and CB2 receptors are found in your within the chromosomes themselves. You know, obviously, because you have to be able to code for it. Um, but it, just to for to for even further clarification, and then let's think about you know the fact that okay, your body 40% of your mass, there about 30 to 40% of your body mass is comprised of uh, bacteria, right? Called your microbiome. And there's uh, the highest concentration of it relies in the gut. So you're literally comprised of all these other organisms that aren't even you. 
which is like, but they are you. So it's really, it's really interesting. You know, <laughs> you got all this bacteria just chilling, lying around and you're like, okay, so that they don't have any, anything to do with the endocannabinoid system, right? Like that doesn't, nope, they do. You know, and the lab, uh, we, in like the work that Dr. Onivy was doing, Tommy, uh, and, uh, Tommy, Ronnie, and, um, you know, Roe, and the rest of the lab was, uh, and stuff that we were looking to continue was to kind of pr- further investigate. And I know Tommy's doing it now over at Harvard, you know, and it's, uh, to further investigate the, um, the crosstalk between the endocannabinoid system and the enterobiome and throughout the microbiome. Because the enterobiome, we've seen in this huge booming field of microbiology, which no one's talking about, which is a huge, it is a very booming, rapidly growing field right now. Um, you know, that is, there is cannabinoid receptors present on bacteria, you know, and, and they have responses to cannabinoids as well. You know, and specifically when we looked at CBD, it was able to inhibit MRSA. Uh, and uh, res- and uh, past resistance day and past resistance tests in terms of not being able to cultivate on, you know, media and uh, other various forms of gram-positive bacteria. So, and then we look at gram-negative and we see the interaction with it in E. coli as well. So it can literally re-regulate, cannabinoids can re-regulate the bacteria found within the gut. You know, and that's important because if you're able to actually have the gut balance that translates because there's a connection between the bacteria found in the gut and the bacteria found in the brain called the psychrobiome, which will regulate this neurotransmitter response that can, that induces effects, which is why when you eat and you feel different types of ways, it's these neurotransmitters that are being released, but it's this communication between the two. They use the end, it's believed in, there's this crosstalk of using the endocannabinoid system to be able to induce those kinds of reactions, you know, because it, they don't, when people think of, you know, our circadian rhythm, right, which, again, the endocannabinoid system is directly tied into because they're punitive cannabinoid receptors like fatty acid aminohydrolase, which is responsible by circadian rhythm. And that study was done by Ben Kravitz and uh, or one of those studies, at least, was done by Ben Kravitz, but which proved which was the cannabinoid one. But in terms of it being done by the circadian as the circadian rhythm and being able to actually clock it, that won a Nobel Prize back in 2018. Um, and, and how it's all, it's, it's intertwined. It's all intertwined, you know, because bacteria can't see light and day. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. they can't. So how are they being able to, this, where is this crosstalk communication occurring? How does it occur? All this other kind of things. And that's, what's believed to be able to like really regulate, you know, a lot of different balances within your circadian rhythm, within mood function, um, within this neurotransmitter release within the brain of just you know, just that, again, we're talking very basic, like serotonin, dopamine levels here, you know, but that translates to a much larger effect that it can have on a system. The endocannabinoid system in a nutshell. Got all that? Well, to say that it is the control of life sounds abstract and a little hard to believe, but nearly every animal with a spine, save for reptiles, has an ECS, which would explain why people try to get their dogs and cats high, but not their pet iguanas. But ultimately, it is the system responsible for homeostasis, another fun sciencey word which is defined as the tendency towards a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially as maintained by physiological processes. In other words, a fully healthy functioning body. 
Now, as Josh mentions, it intertwines with everything, so it is indeed the foundation for life, as nutty as that may sound. Uh, the body also has a natural cannabinoid in the form of THC called anandamide. Now, sometimes this runs low and needs to be replenished, so people turn to cannabis, and this is literally the reason why cannabis is synonymous with human health. But wait, there's more. It gets even more interesting, and this is what I mean when I say it is life, because you, not just is it responsible for the continuation of life, but let's look, let's think about it, right? How old are bacteria? We're seeing, we're talking billions of years old here. They have cannabinoid receptors, or specific, specific ones of them have cannabinoid receptors that may even be hundreds of millions of years old, right? That's, that, that's the point. Like, that's, that's the bigger picture right there alone. Like that, that in itself translates further because how, how do these things, these really more or less ancient organisms, not entirely ancient, but, you know, old, very old organisms, you know, respond to the same kind of compounds that we do and have those same sites that we do. That's just what makes it really interesting. You know, the fact that there's a plant that produces cannabinoids meaning it has its own endocannabinoid system the cannabis plant has its own endocannabinoid system by definition because it produces its own cannabinoids right and it's not the only plant that contains it so now we see it within nature as well um you know in in terms of plants which is removed you know in terms of cell structure now right now we're going changing entire cell structures entire everything and not even no mitochondria we see in chloroplasts, right? It's found within the chloroplast DNA membrane, which takes us back to LUCA, which is like, it's it's something that's very broad and it really needs to be looked at. But the evolution of life is defined uh, by the last uncommon ancestor, which gave rise to everything. It's where we saw and where you see the split between um, this prokaryotic organism that gave rise to eukaryotic cells, you know? And that split that it's believed to be that, you know, there was cells that contain both chloroplast and mitochondria, because when you look at the DNA between the two, they're the same in terms of their structure. They're both circular. It's conservative, double membrane, you know, and they split. And then that these, these are the similarities that you see between plants and humans, for instance. Right. And. But both of these contain the genetic profile to pro eventually get to the point of the production of cannabinoids at this level, at some point. Again, you know, this needs to be ratified, um, but there's a lot of literature that really does point to it. And um, it's something that I, I've intensely analyzed and when you, when you actually delve into it, it is absolutely incredible, man. Getting to understand how these tiny microscopic chemical compounds affect us humans and our relationship with the natural world is mind-blowing indeed. Now, Josh also mentions how cannabinoids interact with bacteria in our microbiome, which means bacteria also have an endocannabinoid system. So this stuff is literally everywhere. 
Now, all this really goes to show how little we know not only about cannabinoids and the cannabis plant, but also the natural world itself. And it also demonstrates how wrong it is of governments to ban not just naturally occurring substances such as cannabis, psilocybin mushrooms, and other plant medicines, but to spread propaganda and disinformation on the cannabis plant and nature as a whole. Now, they've been waging a war on nature for decades and to everybody's detriment. Now, in the past decade or so, there have been many changes on this front, mostly revolving around one of the two most famous cannabinoids, cannabidiol or CBD. Now, CBD is hailed as the non-psychoactive cannabinoid that has a multitude of health benefits without the high. Now, if you live in a place where THC is legal or semi-legal, you might have also seen various products with varying THC to CBD ratios, such as 1 to 1, 2 to 1, or even 20 to 1, indicating how much of each is contained therein. Now, Josh explains the meaning of this type of labeling. The entire thing is bullshit. So, like, the, these, the, the, there's only three ratios that you can administer cannabinoids in, and really, um, in, in terms of THC to CBD, right? It's 20, 80, 80, 20, or 50, 50. And what that means is, is that you're, it's either a one to one, right? Or a one to five or a five to one when you talk about a THC to CBD ratio. So if the majority if you have of what you have falls anything in between those ranges, what you're going to be able to feel are the effects of that one majority in particular, right? And they, they get categorized based off of it. It's not like you can have um, like a, a one to four, and then an 8 to 1, and then the 12 to 1, and the 16 to 1, and the 20 to 1, and the 50 to 1. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. You know, everything in nature falls in ranges. So how, do, how does life exist, right? We live in the Goldilocks zone in the universe. Well, not in our solar system, but that particular zone within uh, solar systems um, is the habitable zone. And... Um, what it is, is essentially just you're not too close to the sun where we're on fire and we're not far enough away where we're like freezing. Uh, we're in this perfect medium that life can exist. So with drugs, it's kind of the same thing. You get the one of the two opposite and then the medium, which is a range, uh, which is for THC and CBD. So CBD in particular, when we look at CBD and we look at the synthetic cannabinoid antagonists that we've that have been replicated that are all based like they're all, they're all very similar shape like all very similar shape they're all this y shape that kind of forms this the more or less blockade that really i believe gave it that antagonist property so antagonists by antagonist molecules are molecules that interact with protein receptors that um prevent any kind of um change does that make sense it's it's more or less of a stable it, you think of it more or less as a stabilizer more than anything so a lot to process in that short clip but in a nutshell many of these cbd ratios found on various products at dispensaries are totally arbitrary and were devised for mostly marketing purposes the field of cannabis science is still quite young and there is so much we still don't know however people are already trying to cash in on the benefits without actually being fully aware of the science behind everything and that can lead to various problems down the road. As mentioned several times before on this podcast, we can't even get the exact nomenclature down for the various forms of cannabis, and now we see that we don't even fully understand how CBD works, especially when we say things like, it's the biggest non-psychoactive cannabinoid. 
Josh explains what psychoactive actually means. If you have the protein receptor, right, there's this, the space where the uh, drug interacts is called the active site, right? It's called an active site. So when you have these drugs bind to the active site and deem a response at a psychological level, it's psychoactive. That's the simplest way to break that down. That's what psychoactive is, right? Cool. CBD is not, not non-psychoactive. It's a psychoactive substance. And if you go onto my page, if you go onto the Why Not THC page, if you go onto the, um, the, my personal page at The Alchemist on Instagram, you can, I put up videos of this because no one's ever seen it. I, I even showed this to, to and no, no one was able to actually kind of see the images that we were, I was able to produce with uh, my protocol because they did, they weren't available at the time. Even like the Dr. Raymond Stevens hadn't produced when he made the crystallized protein receptors of CB1 uh, specifically with agonist and inverse agonist protein, uh, the protein sites, he uh, not protein sites, protein confirmations. He didn't include CBD in in the study, which I thought was really weird. So I did it, you know, and that was and using using the protocol that I that not myself, but my mentors created, um, you know, we were able to to actually see what it looked like and. It looks very similar to, to them, but in particular, it has a response in terms of the amount of energy released from the site as the same, similar to these other other drugs that were done in this study. And that's the that's the bigger thing, because then, you know, for a fact that it's actually binding to it, you know, and that, that that's what, that's the, the part people miss. You're not. You cannot treat uh, psychological or I should say, really, um, you can't treat ailments of psyche with substances that won't alter it. Does that does that make sense? You have an imbalance of specific um, chemicals within the brain. The only way to reverse or counteract that imbalance is to introduce something else into the system that can do that that's what that's what you know all the that's what like zoloft does your xanax does you know uh, any drug really so by that definition loads of stuff that people take on a regular basis would be considered psychoactive you know things like caffeine nicotine alcohol opioids various sedatives hypnotics and of course psychedelics Many people tend to associate psychoactive with the opposite of sobriety, but that is actually false. A buzz from nicotine or a double espresso will most definitely have psychoactive effects, but most people would never say that a person sipping on a strong coffee isn't sober. Quite the opposite. Loads of people drink coffee while driving even. When talking about the cannabis high, however, what people really mean is that they don't want to experience the euphoria associated with THC. In other words, the giggles, the relaxation, and perhaps the sleepiness. This is also a psychoactive effect, but in a more externally noticeable form. 
So CBD is psychoactive, albeit in a much milder form compared to THC, and it is often what parents would prefer to give their children who might have some sort of serious condition. Now, we do know that children also have an endocannabinoid system, but giving THC to them is still frowned upon for obvious reasons. However, teenagers have been using cannabis recreationally for ages, yet not all of them display effects of abuse. So is the controversy around youth consumption justified, and should parents be concerned? So anyone under the age of 18 years old should not be consuming or smoking weed. Um, I'm a hypocrite when I say that entirely (laughs) for anyone who's known me (laughs) throughout the course of my teenage years. But as a wiser me now is telling you, do anyone under the age of 18 should not be consuming cannabis because you don't have the region of the brain, which is the pleasure center. The prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet, and that can cause imbalances. And it's not long term uh, damages, but at the same time, you can, you know, alter uh, the brain. It's not fully developed in that region yet. You know, when you talk about the kids from like the ages of like anyone under the age of basically like 13, you know, 12 and under. Um, preteens, like they are all, your, your endocannabinoid system isn't fully developed by that, you know, so people are concerned with these kids like getting high and this, that, and the other. Um, there's not the biggest worry to have with that um, because, again, their, their system's not fully developed yet, which means that the, the lack or the, the reduced quantity and number of cannabinoid receptors and the effects that can come from that are somewhat more reduced. Um, you know, so you don't have the, the, the biggest worry in the world with it. And, um, you know, as, as you get older, your system and your body changes, you respond to, like, THC differently. Like, I know I've noticed it going from, you know, 16 to now, I, my body responds entirely different. You know, so it's like you kind of just have to understand that. Um, but I wouldn't recommend it for anyone under the age, again, of 18 to be just smoking weed. Smoking really anything in general, but just smoking weed. Um and uh, when, it, when you talk medical, the medical side of it, you know, when we talk about administering cannabinoids, um, you know, anyone who suffers from any ailments that could alleviate the, that cannabinoids have the ability to alleviate without the introduction of pharmaceuticals, yes, I would advocate for it, you know, and especially throughout, and especially throughout, um, you know, people, again, diagnosed, okay, diagnosed, they've seen a doctor. They say that you have, you're suffering from depression, anxiety, you know, some, something along those lines. Um, don't give them the pharmaceuticals right away. Why are we going to that alternative immediately? Why, why is it that? You know, no. Look to see if there are cannabinoid remedies that can be able to help that so that way you don't have, you know, cannabinoids, your body has a system for it. You know, your body has this system that is able to process it. It's able to, you know, release, store it, release it. Um, you know, and it doesn't, and the other thing is there's no long-term impact with that. So why would, why don't we examine that before we examine the alternative synthetic medication? Don't take the synthetic medication off the table because it works for some people, right? Like it actually does work for some people. So like, don't take it off the table entirely, leave it there, go with the natural remedy first, see how the natural products work. If we're not seeing any relief there, then we can scale into the synthetics, you know? But let's start natural and nature-based first before we decide to do anything that can cause a long-term, you know, alteration of the brain that makes us dependent and makes people dependent on those substances, which they won't be dependent necessarily with THC and CBD.
So not a good idea to constantly get high after class if you're still in high school. However, we haven't seen any long-term damage among teens from smoking cannabis, which is actually a huge relief for concerned parents, but that's not to say it should be encouraged either. But as Josh mentions, THC should be the go-to option for pediatric care over pharmaceuticals, which have shown to not only have addictive properties, they can also kill you. Sound familiar? When taking Lunesta, don't drive or operate machinery until you feel fully awake, walking, eating, driving, or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. Abnormal behaviors may include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucinations, or confusion. In depressed patients, worsening of depression, including risk of suicide, may occur. Alcohol may increase these risks. Allergic reactions such as tongue or throat swelling occur rarely and may be fatal. Side effects may include unpleasant taste, headache, dizziness, and morning drowsiness. Ask your doctor if Lunesta is right for you. Risk of suicide? What could go wrong? Friendly reminder here, cannabis has never ever led to suicidal thoughts or any of the other potential side effects these pharmaceuticals often carry with them. And if you're really worried about the effects of high concentrations of cannabinoids in sick children, look no further than Charlotte Figge, the young girl in Colorado who eliminated her severe epileptic seizures thanks to CBD oil. Sadly, Charlotte died earlier this year as a result of COVID-19. However, her ability to defeat epilepsy with cannabis paved the way for a multitude of other children in a similar situation. Cannabis simply works. After all, the endocannabinoid system is the foundation of life itself. So is there any advice from Josh for people interested in getting into the cannabis industry? So for the framework, how it was started, and up until maybe 2015, 2016, the way you can enter this industry, you don't need necessarily a college education. You know, you're not going to need a college degree and stuff like that. And there are going to be some jobs as like bud tenders and stuff like that. You're not going to necessarily need a college degree either. You know, you can have a high school diploma and be able to work over the counter, you know, being able to to give people weed. Right. That's still going to be there. That's not going anywhere. What I'm talking about really in particular is the the future of like the cultivation. end. they're going to want people specifically with like biology, botanist, horticulturist kind of degrees, certification, stuff like that. You know, if you want to be able to work in a lab, you're going to need some kind of biology or chemistry undergraduate degree, Um, you know, and and it's not. And that's because now we're going to move into this transition period of and really this next 10 years is going to be that transition period of, you know, now we're going to start to actually get this academic level and standard there. That's why I that's one of the reasons why I created Canademics. Um, Canademics is my educational platform and event series that we do specifically with universities. Um, where we work with universities and we have cannabis companies come in and sponsor. We get various speakers to come in. Um, if you're interested in uh, what we do, you can check us out at Canademics, C-A-N-N-A-D-E-M-I-X, you know, uh, and uh, they'll be on my personal page as well. You can see what we do. And that is to help the schools understand that this industry is here. You know, we're not going anywhere, you know, and we want to make sure that we not only do we create a smarter industry and a better industry, we need it so that way we integrate it within the system to get it to the, to the standard of where it can be and where it can go, you know. And because of that, we've been, there's been a lot of really great work that's been able to get done. And it's really important that we get that work done as well. You know, can it, well, you know, being able to show universities 
that this is where the industry is going. This is how we can get students involved, having companies come in that are looking to maybe hire people and being able to present job opportunities through that network as well. Um, and specifically with college educated kids. Time to do a bit of book learning and brain thinking. So let's get cracking kids. But yes, knowledge is power and a solid cannabis education can go a really long way. We need you folks out there. So where can we find Josh if we want to contact him? Uh, you can find me on, you can contact me via my Instagram at the Alchemist, uh, via email, josh at whynotthc.com. That's W-H-Y-N-O-T-T-H-C.com. Um, you know, or you can go on the, go on the websites, contact us there. Um, and like either myself or the team will get back to you. Um, you know, and that's, uh, yeah, or at why not CHC at Canademics, um, social platforms, you know, hit us up there. And now sadly time to bid Josh a fond farewell. Joshua Alb, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Thanks for all of your insight. Um, it was a very fun chat. Uh, I could talk shop with you for hours and hours. Uh, but nonetheless, I wish you nothing but success with uh, Canademics and Why Not THC and any other projects you have in the pipeline. Um, I'm sure you'll do a bang-up job, whatever it may be. So uh, I hope to cross paths with you again soon, whether online or some 420 event. Yes, sir. Thank you, Bogan. I appreciate it. I appreciate being here today. You just listened to episode 46 of the Critical Grass podcast. Only four more to go to the big 5-0. Huge thanks again to Josh Alb for the wonderfully enlightening conversation. I feel a few pounds smarter already. If you enjoy the podcast, feel free to share with others. And if you want to support the show, you can do so by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash criticalgrass or by donating via PayPal on our Critical Grass website. You'll make me feel that much more special. We'll be back again next week with another exciting guest, so stay tuned. My scientific name is still Bogdan. Most likely permanently so. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Peace.